0: Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs outlines fertilizer recommendations for second cut silage. Okay, good morning everyone and welcome to this Thursday's Let's Talk Dairy. So this morning I'm going to talk very briefly, I suppose depending on where you are in the country and how the weather has been and so forth in the last few days, um, you may or may not have silage cut. Um, I suppose there has been quite a bit of silage cut in the last uh, week or so, um, in spite of the tricky conditions. So a big credit to the contractors that are out there that have gotten through an awful lot of ground in a very short space of time. And they've been really up against it this year because they've been late getting at it. So as I said, I suppose um, it might be a bit premature for some of you, but it's going to be bang on time for more of you. I'm just going to have a quick look at silage requirements for our fertilizer requirements for second cut silage. And I'm also going to look at um, the silage or the, in terms of surplus silage taken off the milking platforms as well. That's after taking place in the last few days as well um, to a fairly significant proportion and will be continuing to take place I'd say over the next number of uh, weeks or so given some of the growth rates that we've seen in the last few days as well. So it's finally come. I was promising it to you with a long time that we were going to get growth uh, and then many speakers, so Joseph, Joseph Dunphy um, john douglas we were all talking about growth coming but it's actually finally come so we've seen some very high growth rates if you look on twitter there you see some tim casey in Cork wrestling services is saying that he got 145 i saw another person with something like 150 i saw one see one of our monitor farmers recorded 129 in the last week as well so uh, it emphasizes two things i suppose and um, that we need to walk farms regularly to try and stay on top of grass because even in high stocking rate situations, uh, growth rates of 129 are going to, or in the hundreds are going to lead to surpluses developing very quickly and then trying to take those surpluses out in the, the challenging weather conditions I suppose that we might have at the moment as well. So I suppose trying to spot them early and get them out as quickly as possible is going to be an important factor in trying to stay on top of grass. And to be fair, I think grass quality, no matter how good a grassland manager uh, people are, or aren't um, grass quality has been very tricky in the last couple of days uh, or in the last couple of weeks and uh, any of you that are on grass groups with john maher and uh, the grass 10 team will know that there are significant issues in terms of trying to stay on top of grass at the moment no matter what you've been trying to do so so as i said i'm just going to very quick on uh, fertilizer for second cut so our first cut is done and that's the one that really has to be Big demand for nutrient in particular. Um, the second cut obviously should be, well, the fourth cut in particular now has been quite large, especially where they've come off late, where they've been a couple of weeks later. There's big bulky crops uh, coming off. So they're going to have higher off decks. So they do need to be replaced. Uh, and in reality, ideally, it's probably something that's not all that palatable to a lot of people. We should be trying to recycle slurry onto the silage ground. So as we've increased in herd sizes in the last number of years, obviously silage has moved off the platform in terms of long-term silage in a lot of cases, it means it's moved to outblocks. And the temptation is not to spread the and slur- not to carry the slurry there. But obviously, in terms of the whole nutrient cycle that we, we look at on an ongoing basis, and in particular in relation to K fertiliser, um, slurry or silage is very, very hard on K and it needs to be replaced. And I suppose cattle slurry is well-balanced fertilizer in terms of replenishing decay value on silage ground where it goes back to the silage ground. So it's important to factor that in. I suppose one thing that I always say in relation to that is, slurry is going to have to be spread anyway. Um, if you're spreading it yourself, obviously there's a time factor involved in maybe carting it to an outside block. Um, whereas in terms of sometimes people are saying about the contractor costs and so forth, Uh, contractor cost and the fact that you have to replace that P and K value of the slurry at some point along the way with chemical fertiliser potentially means that the trade-off in terms of cost is not as significant as people may think. So in order to fertilise the crop right, and I just point out that these figures are in kgs per hectare as opposed to units per acre. So to get these into units per acre, we're multiplying it by 0.8. So the first figure here is 24. um, Second one here is 16. And the third one here is eight, and then uh, for the case side of things, we're looking at 56 units on an index one soil, and um, five eighths, 40 units on an index two, and somewhere in the region of uh, the trees 24 and five eights. so in around 28 units of K on the index three. Um so, and 100 kgs of nitrogen per hectare, then is what's required, so that's 80 units of nitrogen that's required, and I think that. From my experience talking to groups, in particular last year, I did a lot of Zoom calls obviously around this time last year because of we're in the midst of the lockdown at the time. And there appeared to be quite high levels of fertilizer, nitrogen in particular, being applied for silage crops, both first and second cut. So when we talk about trying to reduce nitrogen levels, I think there's good scope there to actually cut back on nitrogen levels being applied for second cut, or for, well, for all silage cuts to be honest, I think we're probably inclined to overdo it with the idea that we're going to drive this greater, bigger, bulkier crop, when in reality, going with the correct rates, so the 100 units for first cut, uh, including your slurry, and 80 units for your second cut, including your slurry, are going to provide plenty uh, plenty in terms of adequate supply of silage and also in terms of quality. Too much nitrogen is actually a bad thing from a silage point of view, obviously from point of view that it can cause crops to lodge, et cetera, as well, as well as delaying cutting date then, which can impact on quality as well. So 80 units of, of uh, nitrogen fertilizer is going to be more than enough for your silage crop for second cut, okay. So I suppose the it may be that it's unlikely, but it may be the case that there isn't uh, fertilizer or slurry available on farms to go back to second cut ground or for far sparse second cut more likely that that's going to run out following the second cut and that there won't be anything available for to cover the ground after the second cut. But in reality, there should be slurry on most farms and that should be recycled to the silage ground in order to maximize the return from nutrients. Because again, where ground is grazed, and we'll be talking about it in a second now in terms of surplus bales, but where ground is grazed, a huge proportion actually open in, in fact, nearly 90% of the care that the cow consumes in the farmer grass is recycled back onto the ground. So in applying more slurry than is needed onto grazing platforms is counterproductive. And obviously there's a cost associated with them trying to correct the soil fertility and the silage ground. So the opportunity is there to use the slurry, as I said, this whole concept of the circular economy that we're talking about, or we hear talk about, uh, it's, it's no different in a silage situation that we're trying to re- re- send our nutrients back to where they came from, and that's going to be fra- to the silage ground. So. First and foremost, we should be trying to send the slurry back. That's going to cover your P and K requirements for the most part. If So what's, what's in the slurry, I suppose, uh, the watery slurry is going to be in the region of, kind of your six units of P and your 30 units of K. Now, that can vary very significantly, and I think I may have said that there in, on previous webinars about the variation that we've seen in some slurry that we've been testing. We've tested it. One of the lads was responding. Was, did a little project there where he got a lot of slurry samples tested and we've seen huge variation in both the P and K uh, and the nitrogen level um, in spite of the the kind of the consistency of it. So we would assume that you're talking about 68% dry matter slurry when you're talking about thick slurry and that the nutrient content of that is going to be in the region of five to five, five units of nitrogen, five to six units of P and 30 odd units of K generally as I said, with the testing that we've done there over the past winter, we've seen quite ver- significant variation around that as well. So it might be important to looking into testing slurry um, in the future if you haven't done it before. So just to um, then on the case side of things, as I said, that, that's going to vary as well. So I suppose if we were using our 7% dry matter slurry, we're going to have a situation where we have a uh, small bit of nitrogen because there's less nitrogen available um, even with dribble bar and so forth um, from slurry at this stage of the year but your p and k is going to be consistent uh, so if, if you have good quality thick slurry then you are going to have five to six units of p and 30 odd units of k in, in that per thousand gallons and as you can see there uh, with the highest requirement for k being your 56 units on your index one soil uh, one and a half to two thousand gallons of slurry is probably going to be adequate to cover you from a K point of view, and then from the P point of view, there we say when you're looking at maybe um, index one, uh, needing 21, or, uh, sorry, needing 24, you're going to be maybe needing to top that up a little bit potentially. Now, again, allowances have to be factored in here, and in particular for P, there's no, requ- no concern in relation to K, you're not limited in that. So we need to, we may need to balance that up, and probably need to look at the 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 um, bees and the k's on their own, um, as opposed to trying to maybe do get the one fertilizer that's going to do all kind of scenario. So it's important that we get that right. We're fertilizing the crop. The figures here are for to are to give you give back to the crop or give in, put into the crop what it's going to bring out in terms of yield. then any balancing or improving of indexes that we're looking to do will take place after that and slurry may have a role to play in that as well as i said if we have slurry available following the second cut, that can be used to um, improve the soil indexes and then we may have to follow it like smuret potash or or something like that and maybe 0730 depending on the p status of the of the ground if we're trying to build uh, p indexes and again i'm very conscious of of recommending the likes of 0730 or 1020 or anything like that. People need to consult with their advisors in relation to allowances around P to avoid breaching regulations. there. As I said, K isn't uh, as big an issue. So um, I suppose one thing that isn't on the chart here is the sulfur requirement. It's something that we have to factor in as well. We need sulfur for all cuts, not just for first cut and obviously grazing ground throughout the season as well. So the sulfur requirement is generally kind of 15 to 16 units uh, of P of, of sulfur for all uh, cuts, so first cut or second cut. So a very useful product in that sense there is, if we use um, our slurry to deal with our P and K, there's a product out there, uh, I think it's nearly available from all the companies now at this stage are an equivalent of it, 38 knot not plus seven and a half sulfur. Um, so that's a protected urea product, which is obviously an advantage from the point of view of the environmental aspect. So you're using your protected urea, which is a good thing. Uh, from a logistical point of view, two bags of it go a go a long way to meeting your 80 units, which it'll it will do the trick basically. If you have two bags of 38, not not, you're putting out 76 units and you're going to have a small little bit of nitrogen from the slurry that's supplied as well. So you're going to be on the on the money in terms of the in requirement there as well. So don't forget the sulfur, it's important for both nitrogen use efficiency and for also for protein development in the silage as well. So it has a role to play. So just moving on then to the, to the surplus bales, I suppose, as, and there's been a good lot of them taken out in the last couple of weeks, as I said, and there will be more to come out over the next week or fortnight in terms of trying to correct um, grassland management issues that have arisen due to the way the spring has been. So just, I suppose, your typical bale, as you can see there in the picture, uh, we, we say it's kind of 200 kgs of dry matter generally, they contain uh, 1.6 units of P and 10 units of K. And again, now the K is the important aspect here in particular, uh, because of the fact that there's no recycling of K taking place when you remove um, the silage in the form of the bale, unlike the, the scenario with the K when grazing takes place, as I said, 90% of it is recycled. So a quick rule of thumb there for you. Again, the story is the advantage here. For every three to four bales per acre that comes off, 1,000 gallons of good quality thick slurry or 2,000 gallons of water slurry will need to be applied. So that's going to replenish your soil in terms of the offtake of nutrients that you have removed in the form of the bale. So just quickly before bales are removed from the, the paddock, uh, count up how many bales are in there. So divide it by the number of acres in the paddock, see how many bales per acre. I suppose in a lot of cases, we probably see four, or five, six bales per acre sometimes coming off. So in that kind of a scenario, we're going to be looking at 1,000 to 1,500 gallons per acre going on to replace the offtake there. Uh, it doesn't have to happen straight after the silage comes off, but I think it's probably a good practice because obviously you don't have the complication of maybe dirtying um, any bit of grass, even though trailing shoe and dribble bars obviously get over that complication quite significantly. Um, but And the other thing is, I suppose, Once, if Unless you're going to mark it up somewhere that you really are going to refer to some form of a guide that you will make sure that you get the slurry back there, the best time is to do it when the ground is is, um, just freshly cut in order to make sure that it gets done. So I suppose that's the the P&K element of it, I suppose. And there's just one question there, what about using slurry for reseeding and when to put it out? Yeah, I suppose, Russell, that's a good question. Um, It's a tricky one uh, in that obviously you're trying to Operate in a dry, uh, fluffy seedbed for for uh, silage or for for seeding. So a slurry would probably have to be applied in advance of any tilling taking place, and given a chance to dry into the soil. I suppose and then be tilled in. So I suppose you could apply it onto um, burnt off ground that's been cleaned off. Give it a day or two to to dry in, and then till after that. So it will do a share of European care requirement there. Unfortunately, the one catch with it, I suppose, is that it's a little bit Slower release than your the lights of your ten ten twenty, and um, so your ten ten twenty is available very readily, obviously because it can dissolve there at ground level and be available to, at at the level where the root is going to be developing in the new seedling, um, whereas the story is probably a little bit slower release type P and K. Now uh, it's a challenge that we have on farms, and we ha- probably haven't come up with a suitable solution for it really as yet in relation to the the lack of P allowances in particular on farms in derogation and so forth. Um, so that, that instant P shot may not always be available. Uh, and I suppose applying the slurry as near as possible to the time of tilling and, and tilling it in such a way that it's staying very close to the surface is as good as you can do in that scenario. So um, final thing then, I suppose, and we'll wrap it up with that then, as I said, it won't be, I wasn't gonna be long today, um, is lime. So this is one of the, cheapest fertilizers that you can buy. Um, I suppose the challenge is that we're often looking for to try to find a number of acres to deal with a load which is generally going to be 20 or 25 tons so in most cases we're probably looking at applying somewhere in the region of maybe uh, two tons to the acre or so so we're looking for 12 or 13 acres to be available at at any one time. I suppose why am I saying this even um, just after first cut? People can sometimes rotate first cuts. As I said, those people with uh, silage ground on out blocks probably don't tend to do that obviously because they don't have that opportunity. But there are people maybe that have silage ground on their milking block and they may rotate the second cut. They take the second cut from a different area. Um, and so the first cut ground may be available for lime. And it's an important opportunity to take to get the lime out. I suppose in terms of the slurry before the lime and the lime before the slurry, this question always comes up. I think the objective would be to put out the, the slurry first and then the lime afterwards in order to avoid any release of nitrogen from that. E&K won't change with the application of lime, but we don't want to be releasing nitrogen into the air. And um, so we should be trying to apply the, the, lime, the slurry before the lime. And generally, at a very minimum, we're talking about leaving three to four days between the applications of all of these. So if we, if we are going with slurry, we give it three or four days, then we can apply our lime. And then after that, we can apply our fertilizer. Again, another three to four days after that again. Or maybe you could come in with the lime after the fertilizer. But the, the, I suppose the key component would be in relation to the slurry uh, because our protected ureas um, are okay in terms of application with lime. Whereas our slurry, if it's applied post-lime, the nitrogen will be dissipated into the air and we don't want that. Uh, both from the point of view of the environmental aspect of it, but also the loss of the nitrogen that's associated with it. But again, just to reiterate, the the P and K value of it isn't um, going to be affected um, by the the lime application. So if you're working with your thick story and you've got five units of P and 30 units of K in it, that's not going to be affected by lime. So I suppose just to factor it in, uh, and again, with the surplus paddocks as well, there may be opportunities to apply lime there. Um, for people that have those taken out as well. And it's just to take the opportunity while the weather is, is only mediocre, I suppose, and ground conditions are, are okay-ish, they could be better for definite, um, but the opportunities are there now over the next uh, month or so in particular for doing these applications, rather than putting it on the long finger with a view to doing it maybe later in the year when rotation length is increasing and so forth. But ground conditions can become a little bit more challenging as well. Um, so, I think it's something that people should be looking at. So I suppose, let's check the questions there. Uh, yeah, just to protect the geria after the lime application is is okay, and is it okay to apply slurry directly after reseeding, or how long would you wait before applying? Yeah, I don't think I'd probably be inclined to apply slurry post reseeding because obviously with a soft seed bed. we going to be going with very light loads. I think I I would prefer to be getting my and my grass established. Getting it grazed and then coming back maybe after uh, a grazing with an application of slurry if you really wanted to, to do that. So um, just if I suppose just to summarize, force cuts, quite heavy force cuts have, to have been taken off in a lot of cases where they have been done and they're probably being done at the moment even in, in other places as well. Um, so we have to replace the nutrient that's been removed Bear in mind that when we don't graze, we're stripping that nutrient away from that area and taking it obviously into the farmyard in the form of silage. If it's not been brought back in the form of slurry, then we're really depleting that soil uh, in terms of K in particular, and also to a lesser extent P. Slurry is very balanced. Cattle slurry is very balanced in that sense, in terms of it, it will replace what comes off. So it's good to recycle reco- re- uh, that to the silage ground. Um, and it's also going to mean that you're kind of more balanced uh, fertilizer application for your, your silage crop for your second cut. So that should give you a good second cut as well. In terms of nitrogen application, no need to have more than 80 units of nitrogen, including your slurry going out on second cut. Anything more is really waste of nitrogen um, and isn't going to generally generate much more for you. You may want to save a little bit more. Uh, if we're putting out 80 units, that means 40 days. 40 days is roughly six weeks. Six weeks from the first of June is going to be the middle of July cutting. That means that there's going to be nitrogen going on for either possibly a third cut potentially or for subsequent grazings on the silage ground, depending on what your farming system is. Um, So you need to be saving a little bit of nitrogen in that sense as well. If you you apply the nitrogen regulations across the silage ground and everything, it means that you can't afford to be lashing out high quantities of nitrogen onto silage ground um, to drive on crops. That actually don't want to materialize in reality or can be detrimental to the crop as you said in the farm lodging and so forth as well so get our p and k right yeah ideally true story first and then maybe balance up with fertilizer if needs be nitrogen application no more than 80 units required don't forget the sulfur need 15 to 16 units of that going on in order to get efficiency from the, the nitrogen and also to uh, um, allow for protein development in the grass as well And then the final two points then uh, relate to, firstly, I'll go to the lime because that applies to all ground. So if your pH is low uh, in terms of nitrogen use efficiency for any nitrogen fertilizer that you're putting out, or even P and K to be honest as well, from work that we've seen done by David Wall and Johnstone Castle as well, the uh, value of applying lime cannot be underestimated. And we just probably don't do enough. Previous generations that went before us had greater emphasis on lime than we do now, and we actually are probably farming, or we are definitely farming at a higher intensity than they were back then. So the line cannot be overstated. The opportunities are there now at this time of the year to be trying to pick off um, areas that need to be lined. And then the final thing, I suppose, is in relation to the surplus bales that we should be trying to, again, it's it's that removal piece, it's not being recycled. uh, So it needs to be recycled by returning slurry to the area. At a very minimum, needs to be earmarked for to get slurry at some point later on in the year. But ideally, as I said, uh, bird and hand is worked two in the bush as such. So if we have it done now, it's a job ticked off straight away. So we can go into our clean silage a- aftermaths, apply our slurry with our low emission slurry spreading technology, grow back our grass for grazing and move on. And we don't have to be trying to think of going back there again. Um, so that's it pretty much for today, I suppose we'll be back again next week, um, I hope to have Mihal O'Leary if he's available, there's a new uh, fertilizer planner piece to the PBI to the, um, uh, that I'm hoping to get him to have a chat to us about, um, uh, we'll see you all next week, in the meantime take care and enjoy the re- easing of restrictions that's coming, um, but try to be safe in that on, on, on an ongoing basis obviously as well. Um, and we wish you well for the week okay thanks very much bye for now that's all for this week's let's talk dairy webinar series and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week i'll be back with our usual dairy edge interview on monday so do listen in then i'm emma louise Coffey, and thanks for listening